So sorry there wasn't an episode last week, guys. We didn't want to. We were both sick. We both <laughs> messaged each other. <laughs> and we messaged each other at the same time. We're like, do we just want to, do we want to? Do we just want to not? Or... Do we just want to not? And the answer was, yeah, we actually don't want to. <laughs> actually, we don't want to. So we just didn't. Yeah, we didn't want to. So we didn't, which is our prerogative. We're strong, independent podcasters, and we don't need a release schedule is the thing. It's like the thing, though. That's know? the thing. I had a splitting headache. This is day four without Monster, the drink for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we had a couple of rough, real rough days. I slept a whole lot today. And now we're here, and I've got a mug of wine. Also, I drank a gallon of apple juice this weekend, which I've since been told is bad. And so now Sharon tells me I can only have one glass at one meal a day. Um, yeah, because that's like a lot of sugar. Yeah. Can I tell you, in like solidarity with you, since you're okay. not having your monster, I'm not having my V8 right now. <gasps> I am wow. instead having a pretentious rich people sparkling water at San Pellegrino. San Pellegrino. And I'm drinking a glass of wine out of a mug. <laughs> I'm drinking San Pellegrino out of a can. So we're, <laughs> we're both kind of thriving actually actually wow is this a thing in your mid to late 20s is like wow unfortunately i think it kind of is is the thing you're 25 now right yes i'm in my mid 20s i'm firmly in the throes of my mid 20s i am holy shit i am less than four months from being 30 years old 30 flirty and thriving bestie i can't (gasps) wait I forgot about 30, flirty, and thriving. Were you so sad about 30 because you forgot about 30, flirty, and thriving? I have been literally waiting. When did that movie come out? (laughs) What is that 13 going on? 2004. I have been waiting 20 years to be 30, flirty, and thriving. And it's coming, baby. It's coming. We're going to do that dang thing, huh? It's the thing. You're going to be 30, flirty, and thriving is the thing. I'll definitely be 30 and flirty. <laughs> yeah, Sometimes yeah, yeah, being yeah. Two, two parts of that equation are fine. You can be 30 and you can be <laughs> flirty, or you can be 30 and you can be thriving, and that's fine. But you can't just be flirty and thriving. Exactly. You have, you have, to, you have yeah. to be 30, but you, you can just be 30. If you want to just be 30, you can just be 30. Sure. But you cannot just be flirty or just be thriving. You need to no, no, be no, no. 30. 30 and something. Absolutely. Uh, cheers to our non, uh, non-caffeinated non beverages. Ooh. Cheers. Cheers, cheers. I'm waiting for my um, champagne to cool off my face. Oh, this is good. I'm trying really? the, I think this is a blood orange. The color suggests. Yeah, sparkling orange and blood orange beverage. Pretty good. Do you good. like sparkling water? I Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. When I entered my mid-20s, I said <laughs> to myself... Mere months ago. <laughs> mere months ago. I was like, I'm an adult now. I should... <laughs> <laughs> I'm an adult now. I should find a sparkling water that I like. Because I feel like mm. everybody likes at least some kind of sparkling water. And I felt weirdly left out of it. No. So I went through like all the sparkling water brands. I went through Polar and Bubbly and all the other ones whose name I can't La remember. LaCroix. La I thought that was dog shit garbage. It is. Um, San Pellegrino though? Good. 
I think it's because this actually tastes like what it says it's going to taste like and not like yeah. water with essence of. This is like, this is sparkling orange juice, basically. I did, however, put mm -hmm. a San Pellegrino for all of my San Pell stands out there. Makes really good vodka sodas. Like put a few shots of vodka in with this. Ooh, baby, you're thriving. All you San Pell fans. <laughs> all my vodka. San Pell girlies. Get, get some, like, lemonade vodka, put it in with the limonada one. Mm. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Delicious. Put some vodka in your Pellegrino and a theme song in your ear. Got there, <laughs> got there. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Wheels Up, a Criminal Minds podcast. My name is James. And I'm B. And this week, we are watching Season 3, Episode 15, A Higher Power. This episode written by Felix Enrique, or directed by Felix Enrique Alaka, and written by Michael Udeski. We like Felix. Felix does good episodes. We talked about Felix because you didn't pronounce his name. Yeah, it really, it took me a second, because I am dumb. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's done quite a few episodes. He did, I think, 18 episodes, or 18 or 20 episodes over the course of the series. Um, he does about two a season. He was the director of Penelope, which is why you remember his name. He also Thank is the director of Minimal Loss. So, Ugh. Felix, banger. He's... I'll be real honest. Penelope is good. This episode is good. And Minimal Loss. I, I'm going to top five him. Oh, we're top fiving him. Are we going to do a director's ranking too? Oh my God. It's just him and Eddie B. It's him and Eddie B. <laughs> no, but I do, I do think a lot of the directing choices made in this episode are really good. And they feel very like peak criminal minds. You know what I mean? They feel very... Criminal Minds. There's some symbolism I have a couple of question marks for. But overall, I do enjoy it. Yeah. I think this episode has a lot of, like, subtle stuff for a rewatch, which isn't necessarily, like, intentional, right? Because they didn't, they hadn't done it yet. But it's a lot there on a rewatch. Yeah, I think this is a good, this is a really, a weirdly good Emily episode. Mm -hmm. And... I think in a way also like a weirdly pivotal Derek episode too. I think so too. Absolutely. And I also think there's some good JJ foreshadowing in this. You know, somebody yeah. suicide in a bathtub. The unsub found his brother with his wristlet. She is just sort of in the background having emotions. And I think that is a fun early season JJ hobby. JJ's... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, AJ Cook was like, listen, I may not have lines, but god damn it, I'm here. <laughs> god damn it, I'm gonna act anyway. <laughs> there's so many, I'm like remembering now in like season one, there's so many episodes where anytime somebody mentions like sexual assault, JJ has like a little moment that would be totally unnoticed. And it goes nowhere. It, it, we never find out this is a thing that has happened to JJ. But AJ Cook was like, I'm just gonna act here. You know. <laughs> and the thing is that it's very good that she did, actually, because it's what makes episodes yeah. like this really good on a rewatch. Yeah. So shall we jump right in? 
Shall we get into it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so we start off with Renee O'Connor from Xena. Renee O'Connor from Xena, she plays Gabrielle. She has two scenes. But the second I saw her, I was like, hey. <laughs> it's hey, you. that's her. You're a queer icon, and you're also just sort of in Criminal Minds, so. Just like in Criminal Minds? She would like left the Xena convention to come film for two <laughs> scenes in Criminal Minds. Anyway, Renee O'Connor comes in. She's talking to someone on the phone and she says, it would have been Amy's birthday tomorrow. And like looks at a picture of like her daughter. And she says her husband, Paul, has been a rock. The other kids are with their grandparents. And she's just kind of like updating this person. And then boom, the power goes out. Bum, bum, bum. She goes upstairs. There's water everywhere. So she says the storm must have blown the power out. Are we supposed to infer that the husband committing suicide Yes. Blew the power. I okay. think so. That's got to be it, right? I mean, I think it has to be. Okay. So she goes upstairs. The bathroom door is locked. She's panicking. She breaks in. He's dead in the tub holding this heating unit that must be from the fucking 1920s. They really just went to Goodwill and found what they could find. He's also in the pinkest bathroom. <laughs> He's also just like wearing business casual. <laughs> <laughs> like, not to make fun of this man in his hour of most need, but choices were. Choices were certainly made here. Yeah. Not to so be she, rude, oh, but I, whenever I'm depressed, I try and get out of business casual as quick as possible. Oh, absolutely. Also, I did like this touch. She goes to touch him in the tub and then, like, remembers that the water is charged. Yeah. And has to, like, pull her hand back. I did like it. It was a good little moment. I did, too. So then the cops that come in, they're taking pictures, and then, like, the main cop, whose name is, like, Rami, like, calls JJ. Also, they're in Pittsburgh. Fucking again with Pittsburgh. I was like, why is this not an episode where we get clues about JJ? Like, she already found her sister in a bathtub in their bedroom, in her home, just outside of Pittsburgh. Like, Also, we were, like, just in Pittsburgh. In limelight. We were just in Pittsburgh. Two episodes ago. What the fuck? Usually they space out cities a little bit better. Yeah, not here, But, like, limelight is Pittsburgh. Damaged is Indianapolis. A higher power. Pittsburgh again. Like, come on, gang. I don't know. Okay, back to Quantico. Hodge tells Rossi that he needs a day off so that he can, like, talk to Jack about what's happening, like, with the divorce. And he's like, I don't know how much Jack's going to understand, but, like, I have to try. And Rossi's like, okay, like, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. So they go to the briefing room. There's a fire at the rec center that killed 14 people. Derek says he remembers that. And I get that it was, like, a big thing, but, like, it was in a different state. And we know that he only reads shit about his own states. <laughs> That's a it's canonical like, fact provided to us by Dr. Spencer Reed. Yes, in True Night. And it was just weird to me that, like, they had him remember that. It was just weird. I don't know. And then JJ says there's been five fires. Oh, sorry. JJ says there's been five suicides since the fire. And everyone who's committed suicide lost a kid in that fire. And Derek's like, well, if it's all suicides, like, why do they need our help? 
And JJ looks so sad. Oh my god. Okay. Also, Derek says, um, "Why don't? Why doesn't social services talk to them? That's not social services' job. That's that's the police's job." Yeah. Like, there's a reason why suicide is criminalized here, besties. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And so, if you don't know, if people don't know, it is against the law to commit suicide. And the reason for this is, it gives police the ability to break into somebody's house or space or whatever and stop them from killing themselves. Yes. Because if it weren't illegal, there would be no legal justification for them to break in somewhere and stop them. So that's why it's criminalized. No one goes to jail for trying to commit suicide, but it gives the law a legal way to help that person. Yeah. All the suicides happened, it was like one every two weeks for the past like three months. So that could be a pattern. And then they bring up the fact that Ronnie, the cop, is the brother of the latest victim. And that's probably why he is so invested. Emily is in her turtleneck. God bless. She's in a sweater that I was like, is this the Lauren sweater for a really long time? No, the Lauren sweater is like a big white baggy. It's a little more like champagne colored and a little bit bigger. Yeah. This one though is goddamn her and her skin tight <laughs> turtlenecks for no reason. She was also, to be fair to me, I was just watching this on a phone screen in my office, so. <laughs> no, she loves forgive. a beige turtleneck. She loves a beige turtleneck. And then that one episode where she looks so fucking good and she was a black turtleneck, the whole episode, it's like, Thank guys, you. just wait until we get to like season six or seven because she goes like full goth and I love it. I love her business casual goth. We call it, my friends and I call it adult goth. Yeah, I need to be more adult goth is I think the thing. You need to, everyone should be. Everybody should be at least a little bit adult goth. It's good for you. Okay, she looks great. It's wonderful. Her bangs are fine here. Okay. <laughs> Derek wants to like throw the case out. He's like, this isn't a case. There's nothing to go out, go on. But Emily says, you know, this is a huge spike in suicides. Like really like five suicides in three months in that okay i have to just say this now because it's gonna bother me jj calls pittsburgh a town the town of pittsburgh and i'm so sorry pittsburgh not a town a city i'd say sure pretty certainly a city however i think for jurisdiction it's obviously broken up into a lot of smaller little cities and shit so, I don't think it's necessarily incorrect to be like, this is the town of Pittsburgh. This is like Pittsburgh within Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? So, I hear where you're coming from. And Baltimore is a city like that, that is one city, but has a bunch of little neighborhoods and things in it. But you still wouldn't say the town of Baltimore. I think if you're trying to be specific about where in Baltimore you're going and what jurisdiction you're in, like they are... Pittsburgh has 2.37 million people in it. It's a stupid one line. We can move on. It doesn't, the truly, it does Pittsburgh. not matter. 
But I do think there's something to be said for like their law enforcement. They have to think in like jurisdictions and shit. I guess they could have said like the district of whatever, but like I just I'm just laughing at JJ. JJ who grew up just outside Pittsburgh. You know, the town of Pittsburgh. You know, the little podunk town I grew up in, yeah. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Okay. Anyway. I just had to bring it up now or I was gonna think about it for the rest of this episode until she says it. So Reed and Rossi talk about how suicides actually go down after a tragedy because tragedies like bring people together. And he says World War One, World War Two, JFK's shooting, and 9-11. And one of I, these things is not like the other. Well, <laughs> I don't want to minimalize the tragedy of losing children. But like a rec center burning down. It's not the same as a president being assassinated, a world war. It's just an interesting comparison. It's it's kind of... I, yeah, I don't know. I do think it, it serves the point it needs to in this episode, which is to show, like, hey, in this little town, or in this small area this was considered a tragedy so it would track that suicides would go down instead of up it makes the yeah. point they needed to i do think it's funny I, to just sort of like slide jfk's assassination in there like that's <laughs> one dude who got shot and i get he was like the president but you're gonna just sort of like slide that in there like we wouldn't fucking notice absolutely and after they talk about this whatever derek is still being skeptical we haven't seen a skeptical derek in a while it felt a little weird for him to go full ass skepticism immediately and stick with it for like 40 minutes of the episode. Most of the episode. It takes until like the final person dies. When the final person dies, he's like, fine, maybe it's a crime. And like, I'm just like, Derek, what, what is this negativity serving? <laughs> like, what is this doing for you, Derek? It's like the second Hotch leaves, Derek is like, I'm in charge, obviously. I don't want to do this. <laughs> he very much reverts back to, like, do you remember early season one, Derek, who was very yes. much sort of like the doubting Thomas of the group? Yeah. It very much is a throwback. Yeah, I don't know why they decided to make Derek go back to being this skeptical person. Like, I think it's also interesting because he's not... In the past when Derek was skeptical, it felt like he was undermining JJ or pushing back against Gideon. This feels like nothing. It feels like he just didn't want to do a case today. Yeah, it really felt weird. Like, he's always been sort of, you know, like, skeptical. Um, But this was weird that... The way he says, like, this isn't a case to find a new one. Like, damn, bro. Yeah, I also think that just, like, he's not pushing back against anyone. And we know that he respects Emily and he respects JJ and he listens to Reed at least and Ross sees a superior. So it's like four people that you like respect and listen to and work with and trust are all telling you there's something here and you're just refusing to even listen. It was weird. I don't know. I didn't like it. it it's so weird because it lasts for so long. Like I fully so expected long. him to be like once they were on the ground, like... 
for him to be like, all right, what's up? But like, he never does. Even on the plane, when they start talking about it being an angel of death, he's still like, meh, meh. I don't know. It's weird. And then Rossi says, we're going to take the case. The families deserve to know what's going on. There's a little gaffe in this episode, the scene, where JJ like leaves the room to go like call the guy back. But in the last shot, Rossi is looking at her and you can see the back of her head, even though she's not in the room anymore. Caught him. Set him a sins one. <laughs> we <Okay>. cannot... <laughs> we cannot become cinema sins girlies. We just we simply cannot. No. That's just a theory. A game theory. We also cannot become <laughs> <laughs> Okay, then the opening. Okay. Down the plane. The first words out of Derek's mouth, Hotch wouldn't have taken this case. He really is just like So bitter. A petulant child. He's, like, mad that Rossi got put in charge instead of him, but Rossi, like, it makes sense that he's in charge. I don't know. Especially in this moment in time. Yeah. So then Rossi, I like this. It shows major growth on Rossi's part. He's like, let's look at the facts. Okay, everyone, let's talk about it. Chime in when you have an idea. And I was like, hell yeah, Rossi. Yeah, this was a good Rossi moment. Rossi really, like, once he got over damaged, he's become a team player now. He's cured <laughs> yeah yeah he's like you guys are very nice to me so i okay, guess we'll I guess figure it out to together then like we'll yeah. see oh Child, old man he says okay he starts like listing facts and he goes fact number one and then we never get any more facts they just keep talking and i do enjoy that <laughs> he really tried to lay out something for the group but the rest of them and weren't doing no. it so he's like all right i'll back off like, he tried so, to start a yeah. bit and they just weren't having it. Yeah. He goes, let's look at the facts. Fact one, no files. There's been one fire, 14 deaths, five suicides. All the suicides are connected to the fire. They're all two weeks apart. There's a pattern and a timeline. But Derek brings up, you know, a lot of these people lost kids. There's a whole lot of grief in this community and it might be too much for some people. The rest of the team brings up that this might be an unsub who targets people in grief. That grief might be exactly what he is, you know, feeding off of. He may be an angel of death. At this point, at this exact point where they find out that, like, the thing is, it's never good that Derek's doubting here. I think it's stupid the whole time. But the moment you hear 14 people were killed in the fire and then five people connected to that have also died... Mm-hmm. that's like come on man you work in the serial killers unit the serial crimes unit yeah you should be able to put two and two together here baby so i'm gonna broach this with you i think that there was a bit of plot that got taken out of this episode so okay. there's a fire at this rec center and we have no idea what caused it right yeah And then Paul is an electrician, a contractor. And, but when he built his house, he didn't put any grounding in and he ends up using that to kill himself. But like, that'd be a long, a long time planning to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like there was supposed to be some sort of connection between his faulty wiring and the fire 
that like led him to mm-hmm. actually be the one to commit suicide. Wow. You know? You know? I don't disagree with it now that you lay it out like that. Because he's the only one to actually commit suicide. And he's, you know, put on this brave face like everything is fine. But I just think that it's interesting that we never get a cause for the fire at the rec center. Like, there's never a moment where they're like, was it arson? But we also, like, don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. And then for them to point out that he, you know, he redid their own house and did it without this grounding that made it unsafe, you know. Yeah. I just think that's an interesting thing for them to point out, but they don't connect. That's me, you know, ingredients, cake, et cetera. <laughs> you know, we're making our own cakes. We're freestyling our cakes today. Absolutely. I do. I I could see it. I could see in a world where Criminal Minds was always from the jump a one hour streaming service TV show and got like a full hour of story. I can see a world in which that connection exists. Yeah, absolutely. We arrive at the Pittsburgh police station. Can I? Okay, this is a little sidebar again. But every time I see a police station now, I think of the special features where the like set designer for Criminal Minds was like, please stop making me design police stations. Yeah, I think about that all the time. I'm always trying to see, like, oh, is this the same as another police station? Like, And it never is. They always do a really good job of making it look really different. And I applaud them for that. And I just want to, if he ever listens to this, we hear you and we appreciate your work. And I, especially with this one, they walked in and it's like big windows and like cool little like half walls. And I was like, this is a good little police station. Good job, you. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. I love it. Okay. We're at the police station. Okay, they do this like mini montage of like other weird looks. And Derek (laughs) is like, they are unhappy to see us. (laughs) And Ronnie is like, oh yeah, they don't think there's a case anyway. He's truly so funny. Truly. I feel so bad for him because like, I think I I didn't remember this as fact, but I felt from the beginning that like his brother did commit suicide. Yeah, his brother's the only one of this group who did actually commit suicide. And I think it's so interesting, like it's such an interesting storytelling point to have him call them after his brother committed suicide and they solved the case. All of the rest of them were serial killers, but like, what finally pushes the cop is just his brother genuinely committing suicide. Yeah. It's like, it's wild. Yeah. And like, you can tell that the team like feels that way too, because like every time he met somebody is like, Paul wouldn't have done this. They like look at each other and it's like, yeah. They're like, do you want to tell him? Yeah. So Reed is going to build a, psychological okay when have they ever talked about psychological autopsies this is the first time they do it but i do vaguely remember that they've done it quite often before or like after this they have but they talk about like victimology a victim profile 
and suddenly it's a psychological autopsy, which is a, just an interesting, like, they make it seem different than what they usually do, which I guess it would have to be because they're trying to prove they didn't commit suicide, right? So it's yeah. more of like a, a post-mortem psychological evaluation, you know? Yeah. And they do this again later. Like, I do remember them doing mm -hmm. this later. There's a few episodes that kind of is, is it or isn't it suicide kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. yeah, but they've yeah. just never said psychological autopsy before, and it threw me off, too. I was like, all right. Yeah. Throwing around new terms to me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are, almost done with season three, and you're throwing out new words at me. I wasn't prepared. Okay. Emily and Derek are going to go look at the house and the cop is like, I'll go with you. And Derek is like, actually, um, no, you're not. And he's just being very rude to this guy. <laughs> he's like, you're biased. I don't want you there. Shut up. And Reed actually is very socially astute and is in the background like, hey, why don't you actually help me with these files? And Reed so has a surprising amount of like, social yeah. awareness this episode that he usually doesn't have and wasn't it just last episode that he was like so autistic yeah <laughs> not to be rude to read but like yeah it super was yeah and now he's like sensing tension and it's like one or the other please okay <laughs> the guy is uh ronnie is like ronnie tells reed to look at Paul's journal and look through it. Okay, this bugged me so much. Here's a gripe. Reed reads very quickly and remembers it forever. And several times throughout this episode, he says, like, oh, it's very dense. I haven't been able to. I think that's you... just him trying to avoid telling this dude okay. that his brother did commit suicide. Like, I think that's, I, I think yeah. he read it immediately and was like, oh, this is the one who didn't. I'm not going to be the one to say it. I'm just going to keep saying it's very dense. Okay, good. Because I was just about to ask you, do you think that's true? Or do you think he's just keeping that? Because if he tells them right away, then, you know what? I bet that is why they give him the cops so many looks throughout the episode. Like, Reed read this journal and was like, hey, guys, Paul committed suicide. And they were like, okay, listen, though, we have to figure out the case. I mean, and that would make sense as to why Derek is doubtful for so long because yeah. it's like the person they were called in about did genuinely commit suicide. Yeah, I, I really yeah. think that's it. I really don't okay. think it's like a... I don't think he didn't read this journal. I think he read this journal immediately. Okay. Because he's like, oh, it's, you know, it's really dense. And I was like. Yeah, he's like, I haven't you? gotten into it yet. I'm like, no, you have. You know. Yeah, you know. Everyone knows. Yeah. So then they go to Paul's house, Derek, Emily, and Rossi. And Derek and Emily go off and do butch things. And Rossi is talking to Renee O'Connor, who says, you know, Paul wasn't on antidepressants. He was fine. And I just want to say. <laughs> yes. Not being on medication, not the same as being fine. Very different things. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, you say that, but what I hear is he didn't get help, but don't worry, he also didn't kill himself. <laughs> 
So it's a little delusion there. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, go look at the bathroom. I kept everything the same. Okay. I'm going to talk about the bathroom scene because it splits five ways, right? Mm -hmm. So Emily and Derek go up there and they are talking about like, okay, it was locked from the inside. So maybe the guy like jumped out the bathroom window and Derek is like, I mean, it's a 20 foot fall. Like you could have, but like, what are the chances? And then Emily walks over to a burnt outlet and says, it's a 110 outlet with no GFI. And okay, little Miss Butch. Mel and I watched this episode a few days ago, and both of us, I paused it, and both of us were just like, what? It's a weird thing for her to know. When has she ever displayed any interest, knowledge about home renovations? And then she says, it's a 1930s house, but it's been remodeled with no ground fault installation. That's crazy. And it's just like, Emily, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it's so weird. I love it, but also I'm pretty sure this is the thing that will never come up again. But she... I feel like Emily, go ahead. Here's what I think happened. Mm -hmm. Can I be so real with you right now? Please do. I think she's an HGTV bitch. <sighs> That's so much better than my theory. I think she's an HGTV bitch, and also she has ADHD, so she got really into it once and went down a lot of Wikipedia rabbit holes. Absolutely. I assumed it was some sort of rich people osmosis shit, but I love the idea that she's just, like, super into the Property Brothers. I think she was super into the Property Brothers is the thing. <laughs> All she does in her free time is watch ridiculous foreign horror movies and also HGTV. It's the also HGTV thing. Like, that's so... Mm -hmm. <laughs> if she's not in the mood for a whole movie, she just puts on HGTV. Yeah, I think that's just, like, the, the safe thing to put on her TV at home, you know? Mm -hmm. Everybody also, likes the HGTV, rooms, theoretically. In, a, like, a hotel room, this one is so much. And if you're not in the mood for forensic files or... America's Funniest Home Videos, then it's gonna be HGTV. It's gonna be HGTV. Like, I think she's just yeah. an HGTV bitch. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and Derek is like, I have four, I have properties and I install that in all of them and I put a box in the kitchen. I got to. It's important. And Emily's immediately like, properties? She is immediately many? like biting her lip, like putting her, uh, <laughs> putting, like doing the little like hair behind the ear thing. Uh, she is like, oh. anyway, properties? <laughs> Tell me more. Like, girl. Oh. How girl. many properties do you have? And he says four. And she's immediately like, oh, four properties, huh? Wow. How she's much so funny. Do you sell that or? <laughs> so funny. And then we find out the husband was a contractor for so, so for him to have made this mistake is, you know, bad. Great. Um, Renee O'Connor tells Rossi that it was the annual fall dance at the rec center and it's like hard to get in and tickets are expensive, but the kids loved it. And he asks her, like, do you know any of the other families who lost kids or committed suicide? And she, immediately there's weird music, which is like, 
I he was like, just a question. And I don't know what this is meant to imply. What what's the implication here? I don't that, that I don't she did know. it or I I don't get why this is a weird question. I don't get what is the point of this? It's so it's so weird. Is it meant to apply that like maybe he was talking with like other people who committed suicide and like gave him the idea? I just I I don't know why all of a sudden tense music plays and she looks suspicious. Like, I don't know. But then she's like, Paul wouldn't commit suicide, not after all they've been through. He wouldn't leave us like this. And then reads like the psychological autopsies will help determine if this was murder or not. Great. <laughs> so then they're saying the town of Pittsburgh. So Ronnie is like, if these aren't suicides, we need to tell the media there's a serial killer. And JJ's like, no, we don't need to scare the town of Pittsburgh. And they're talking about the killer and like they need proof. And the guy's like, proof meaning another body, right? And then he walks away. And JJ's like, he's right, you know, like he's right that it would be our fault if somebody else died. And reads like, you know, hey, it's okay. You know, he's just involved. So he's going to blame you because he's lashing out. And Jade is like, yeah, but if it, if it is a serial killer, the town will also blame us, aka me. Which was an interesting moment of, like, vulnerability. I don't know. This it's... episode had a lot going on, and I loved all of it, but it did feel a little disjointed at times. There's, like, kind of a lot going on, which is good, but it's also, there's kind of a lot going on, and I'm not sure if that's always a good thing. You know what I mean? It was, like, a really, this episode really felt like it was meant for, like, the rewatch crowd. Yeah. Because, like, this moment with JJ and all of her little things, and then, like, Emily's stuff and Hodge's little moments and Rossi being really nice. Like it felt like it was like this will all be important later, you know? <laughs> but in the moment, I'm like, what does any of this mean? Okay. We see a woman at home with her baby and she's all happy with the baby. And then somebody comes to visit and she lets him in and is like, oh, I have your bag in, you know, this room over here. They go off. And then that song plays as nighttime falls and they're like showing the baby and then they like show the woman it's that Shangri-La song weird choice isn't it I didn't get it it's a weird it's it's Shambhala by the way not Shangri-La what is a song called Shangri-La though it is called the song itself is called Shambhala oh it's per, it's the three dog night version. Oh. Um. But what I thought was funny about this. <laughs> yeah. This is such a funny little goof that they did. Uh huh. So this baby, by the way, is so funny, and it keeps looking right behind the camera at where I assume its mother is. Um, yes. But also what's really funny is to show the time passing, they show like the shot of the baby and stuff a few different ways. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, like it's very clear, like the baby is on sort of the left side of the screen and the, um, 
there's like a telephone and a counter behind the baby. And it's also like that telephone encounter is on the left side, right behind the baby. For some mm-hmm. reason, they mirror it once. So the baby and the telephone and the counter are all on the right, but they don't change the angle. It's still looking into the house from this breakfast nook. And for some fucking reason, they were just like, but what if we put the baby on the right this time? And we don't, people won't realize that we did just like, same exact shot, they just flipped it. And then the next shot they do is a different angle of the baby, like looking into the breakfast nook. So I'm like, what? What? (laughs) I think they filmed that baby for like five minutes and went, we'll work with it. It's because you can so tell after the, the, there's like a second, that first scene where the lady is playing with the baby is fine. Mm -hmm. Immediately after that, you can tell baby red nose, uh, rosy cheeks, that baby has been screaming and crying. (laughs) Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. (laughs) Has been screaming, crying, throwing up is the thing. And so I do think they can only get like five (laughs) minutes of feasible footage with this baby. (laughs) so fucking funny and i'm just like damn okay i will say that shot once they like do the shot like looking into the breakfast nook where the baby is on the right side of the Mm. screen and they like zoom back and you can see the mother hanging in the like hallway next to him haunting felix no felix you're fucked up for that my guy (laughs) in the best way fucked up for that in the best way possible made me laugh though because they showed the shot and my first i was still looking at the baby so my first shot was like oh man i want a breakfast nook like that and i look <laughs> over and i'm like huh she's hanging i mean it was good though okay you made me fucking I, cough i'm sorry sorry Oh, fuck you for that. But yeah, so true. I do want a breakfast nook like that. Right? Also, I think it's really interesting. I like this scene a lot, not just because it's like another murder, but because it shows us that there's like definitely a killer. Yes. You know, like up to this point, we are kind of on the fence, right? There's only been... There's been suicides, but we've only seen Paul's, and that seems very unlikely that there was... A killer. A killer, right? And so to see this, to see somebody come in, the mom let them in, and then a bunch of time passes, and the mom is dead. It's like, uh, uh, yeah. So cut to the next morning. Emily is very affected by this killing. And again... There's not a lot of, like, why given to us. <laughs> but it's still, she's kind of really upset. And they show this, like, I don't know what it is, like a cord or maybe it's, like, I think some... it's the news. Oh. I think it's actually sh- the news. Uh, and they show Emily, like, through it. They do a shot. Yeah, they do, uh, like, a, a shot looking out the little like hallway back door area and you can see the noose is in front blurry and out of focus and then behind it is emily it's like oh and i just like 
are we supposed to take from this that Emily has had experience with suicide attempts, suicidal ideation, self-harm? Like, what is the takeaway? Say we don't know about her arc. What is the takeaway of this, like, scene? It's weird, isn't it? Like, it's, I think if I didn't know Emily's arc, yeah. I would say maybe this was like she maybe had a child who died. Mm. Something like that. I would say no to that just because of what we've she seen looks in the past. So, but she looks so affected by this child being left alone. Maybe it was like maybe like her father committed suicide. Like if I didn't know her Ooh, arc, I would say yeah. it's like a child being left alone by suicide is what's bothering her right now. I think maybe like a child or like a father committing suicide probably might have been the implication we were meant to. I wonder also if it's just the like she wants a kid so bad and the idea of a mother having a child and a husband in a home and and killing herself with the kids still there, left there. I just, I don't know. I think it can be, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure. Here's your ingredients moment. But to me, when I watched this, I was like, it reads to me like Emily has, I don't know, suicidal tendencies, thoughts, whatever, and kind of, if she had a kid right there, that's a reason to live, you know, in the same way that like knowing she's helping people is a reason to live. Like, it's like, why would this woman who has everything, you know, not hold on to that is how I read it from Emily's point of view. But it's hard to say because we know her arc. So, yeah, we know who this little boy looks like. So. We know who this little boy looks like, which is so fucked up. I know. Okay. Derek says, there's no signs of a fight if there was a bad guy in the house. You know, because if there's a bad guy in the house, you'd fight. And Emily's like, she couldn't have committed suicide. Her baby is crying in the other room. Like, really? That's what you're going to do? And then it cuts to the baby with being held by the dad. And JJ is, like, playing with a toy and looks pregnant. And Rossi is like, this was a guy on a mission, the unsub. There's no need to kill the baby, you know, and they haven't found a note yet. There's no sign of forced entries. And Emily and JJ are going to go talk with all the other families because they need to be warned. But Emily is still like, this wasn't suicide. You know, Paul makes sense. Your past was orderly. Your present is disorderly. This woman's house is neat and nice. Like, clearly she's moved on she's not depressed you know about this anymore you can still be like sad and miss your child without living in that grief but then how would she have been killed without any signs of a fight you know and i'm like maybe she's already dead maybe she doesn't believe that he'll spare the baby and then emily says she doesn't believe he'll spare the baby if she does what he what she's told which i think is a very telling line Mm-hmm. Like from mm-hmm. her after like her art. Like she doesn't believe that he'll spare the kid. Yeah. 
and I think that's really telling. Another, like, this is a great rewatch episode. Uh, and then Emily brings up maybe they were drugged, so she calls Penelope and is like, who calls her Emily the weird and brilliant or something like that. Yeah, and they're cute. This episode, they're yeah. so cute is the thing. Because Emily the Strange, I think, is a Emily character. the Strange and Wonderful, the Weird and Wonderful or something like that, yeah. Yeah, so Emily the Strange is a kid's character, like a really goth kid's character. And so Penelope's like, hello, Emily the Weird and Wonderful. I don't think she could say Emily the Strange. Um without having to pay the money, you know? Anyway. And we, we know CBS hated spending money on this show. <laughs> For some fucking reason. The show made them bank, and they refused to acknowledge that. And why? <laughs> and for what? Everyone loves this show. It's referenced all the time. Tons of people watched it, and but they were like, you get $2. Congratulations. You yeah. Will. This like, show went fuck? for 15 years and made them billions of dollars, and they were like, mm, we're actually not going to give you budget. I hope you don't mind. Do you mind if we cut it a little bit? You can go to, you can go to LA or New York again, right? Yeah, yeah, just keep going to LA or New York. It's great. So you killers don't Dangerous show up scenes. in other places, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny to me that all of that happened and they still, I mean, I, I like it though because it kept it feeling like a shitty horror movie. Yeah. But still. Okay. At the station, Reed is mentioning the jumper who killed by jumping. There's a suicide note. Okay, I need you to explain this thing to me. They, <laughs> the police is like the one who did a swan dive off a five-story walk-up. <laughs> Sort like, of a cavalier um, way to talk about suicide for a man whose brother just committed suicide, but continue, sir. It was weird. Anyway. Okay. The notes are not coerced. Mm -hmm. The writing doesn't look coerced. The words are not the kind of words you'd use to force someone to write a suicide note. Mm -hmm. They seem, I guess, fairly genuine. And that's how the cop decides it's murder? The notes weren't coerced, so it's not suicide. The cop is looking for any sort of reason to tell the press about this, basically. Well, I just, I don't understand that connection at all. And then when Derek finds the next letter, he reads it and is like, okay, fine, it's murder. I just like, how is a genuine suicide note proof but they're not, here's here's the thing. They aren't suicide notes. They're letters to like a former version of yourself, right? Because they're part of right. the 12-step program. So they're not suicide notes. And they might like sound the same or use some of the same language in places, but overall, they're not suicide notes. So that's sort of what I think makes Derek go, oh, these aren't suicide notes. These are something else. These are some other some other kind of ritual, not a suicide note. You know what I mean? That's that's what I think pushes Derek over. This cop, I have no fucking idea what this man is thinking. I think he is trying to look for any reason to make this an actual case case. Yeah, it's like, on the one hand, sure, they don't look like they were written by depressed people, whatever the fuck that means. But they were not coerced they were genuinely written so maybe it's just like the discrepancy is i don't know so 
the guy, the cop has decided that this is murder. And he's like, can we tell the media now? And they're just like, I already told them. Which, like, when? <laughs> okay, whatever. I wonder if she's just saying that. She probably is. She's probably just trying to make it so that this dude does not just go shouting in the streets. I think she's like, yep, I did it. She's, like, trying to direct <laughs> his anxious energy. Yeah. Because this cop is not helpful. Like, no. there are times in which uh, Criminal Minds cops are not helpful. But, like, come on. So, Derek pulls everybody outside. Hot is back. Hot just showed up randomly. He's yeah. just here. He just walked up. I enjoy it, though. I like that he needs to take the time to talk to Jack. But he, like can't bring himself to take a whole case off. Yeah. And I think that's really telling why you got divorced. Go workaholic. Let's go, bestie. Okay. They're talking about how over 100 people were affected by this fire, and they're grieving, and so this guy is targeting grief. There was an event in this unsub's life that led him to kill someone out of what he perceived to be mercy, and now he's doing it again and again. He's a guy. I will say this cop has been using they, them pronouns for the unsub, and now he's like, it's a guy. He's so progressive. I was like, actually, I I see you. In 2008? (laughs) That's really progressive of you, sir. Hell yeah, Pittsburgh. (laughs) Hell yeah, town of Pittsburgh. (laughs) The town of Pittsburgh. Wait until we find out in, like, the director's commentary that this is actually, like, this actually takes place in, like, Pittsburgh, Ohio, or some other little <laughs> town that just happens to be named Pittsburgh. Like, wait no. until we find out, and we're both going to look stupid as shit. No, because they said Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on it. So they're stupid as shit. So we see the unsub with his, like, murder board, and he's, like, drinking mouthwash. Wait, sorry, you thought that was mouthwash? It was one. He was swishing it in his mouth. It was 100% the stream. Because he was getting ready to go to a meeting and talk to this woman. I thought it was alcohol. And he was no, swishing it around, around in his mouth to like make it seem like he's a drunkard. No, no, no. So he did mouthwash because alcoholics use mouthwash to cover the scent of alcohol. Oh. So it's actually more believable for him to show up to a meeting smelling like mouthwash. Huh. I did not know that. Don't take it as a tip. <laughs> Not a hot tip. No. And so they say, you know, the unsub was a guy. He wasn't standing out. He was, like, getting into these people's lives. They were letting him in and reaching out. And Ronnie's like, no, no, no. My brother was closing himself off, not reaching out to new people. And everyone just kind of, like, looks around and is like. Anyway. So, (laughs) yeah. So there's no evidence of a struggle or escape attempts on the scenes. And this guy is using a personal connection to buy time. He's probably an angel of mercy. And most often the angel of mercies are in the medical profession or law enforcement. So cops. So that's why they're outside. And Ronnie is like, point your finger at whoever you need to. And they were like, okay, we're going to figure this out before we start pointing fingers. And the first person they, the first people they're going to look at are like emergency responders at the fire and that kind of stuff. And they say that this unsub is all about control, how the people die, when they die, where, etc. And he thinks that he's helping him. 
So the only way to stop him is to figure out how he's getting into these people's lives and getting this opportunity. And then the scene ends and JJ like nods and walks away with them. And I was like, JJ didn't say one word this entire scene. <laughs> she's literally just here to look pretty. Truly. And she's so real for that. She's here to look pretty and not pregnant. She's so pretty. Sorry, sometimes it hits me how pretty AJ Cook is. And I'm like, damn. Not to be weird, but pregnancy is making her glow. <laughs> yeah. She looks so good these past few episodes. Not to be weird, but like, girl, okay. I get it. <laughs> I get it. We're at an AA meeting. The guy says he hasn't had a drink in three weeks and four days. He lost his son in that fire. And like, he's been getting recommendations to go watch his son's little league games, but he hasn't been able to. He keeps like driving by. This man was in person of interest. And I did recognize him immediately as person of interest. I was like, ooh, that's my guy. Which one? He's Scott Powell from Root Cause. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. This dude cannot catch a break in any TV universe. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Not, yeah. That's a rough one. Rough man to be, truly. <laughs> I mean, good for him for finding a niche, right? Of a struggling man, yeah. <laughs> now, JJ and Emily are talking to the like parents of other kids that died. And she's telling them about how this guy is faking suicides and all this kind of stuff. And for the most part, people are angry, upset, etc. And then we get to this one woman, Lori Ann, who... If you want a picture of what depression looks like, girl is struggling. Yeah. Yeah. I like that they and gave her just like a very, like, this is the textbook definition. Yeah, absolutely. And the son is like holding the baby. The baby's reaching for the mom. She cannot even hold her. And I think it's interesting that like Emily is the one who noticed. Emily was like, man, did you see that? And you're just like, see what? <laughs> And I like, was not mom. looking at that baby. What? I was not yeah. looking at <laughs> JJ's like, I do my best to avoid looking at babies, um, at least for another few episodes. So please don't. What? Mothers? <laughs> like who? Me? No. I have two more episodes yeah. before I start to even confront that about myself. Don't worry about it. Like <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And then we cut to that AA guy at the little league like game. Like he finally made it. And then that other guy. Another guy from the meeting is there talking to him. And you're just kind of like, oh, no. Uh-oh. Poor Scott Powell it, from Person of Interest. Poor Scott Powell from Person of Interest. <laughs> okay. And then Penelope calls Derek her burning love hunk. Which mm -hmm. is a, it's a choice of words, I think. It certainly was a decision that was made. Yeah, by somebody. And, she, okay, she says it's not narcotic, so it has to be a neuromuscular agent. And Derek's like, what's that? And I... It's exactly what it fucking says, Derek. Brain, muscle, control. Like, come on, dude. Also, like, how does Derek not know? Like, what? That was just, I think he My was guy, the only one in the, the You're on the weird squad murder murders? Like, come on, dude. You're on the weird murder squad? What? <laughs> why do you not yeah. know weird murder stuff? Yeah. Yeah, 
I think he was the only one in the room they could like feasibly give that to. That question. Because Rossi know? knows what it is. Grandpa knows yeah. what it is and you don't. Come on. Yeah. I know. It's a paralytic. It metabolizes quickly and it would be given in an injection. And the coroner found a hole right in the mom's hairline. And it can be bought online. It leaves no trace. And it doesn't stop the brain. It like keeps them aware, but they're but their body is frozen. Which and horrifying way to die. Yeah. Also, didn't we see this, but it was like a K-hole? The ketamine. Wasn't that the whole like <laughs> that's not exactly what this was? <laughs> Am I wrong? No. <laughs> I just remembered the term K-hole. <laughs> 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 giggle now. The way Hotch was like, it's a K-hole. Because it's a really <laughs> funny term. And I get it, like it's real, but like it could have been called something else. Okay. Anyway. This is how they realize that it's not about the glory of the kale. The guy isn't an angel of death or an angel of mercy. He's getting no glory out of this. It's like for himself. And then it cuts to like a well-placed needle on a paper towel it's the guy from AA. He's wearing like an airplane pillow for comfort. And like, listen, this is very dark, but I love the idea of being like, I'm going to kill myself by shooting myself in the head, but I got to be comfortable. I got to be comfy first is the thing. I need I my need, airplane I, pillow. My emotional support airplane pillow. My neck cannot be in discomfort even <laughs> in the last minute of my life. <laughs> um, yeah. The baseball park guy, Peter, is monologuing. I I could not be bothered to listen to this man's monologue. He's all like, I know you needed help. I'm sorry it took me so long to find you, but now I have found you. You looked me in the eyes and I know, I knew. And I knew you were begging for it. Great. And then he shoots the guy in the head. Okay, they find the needle mark. And I was like, he shot himself in the head. There's no hairline like left to find a needle mark. Yeah. Right? <laughs> there's no like head to find a shot but you know whatever Derek finds a note and he's like all right we've got a case and I'm like this is what makes you think really this is (laughs) the last murder of the episode he's like okay fine like come on my guy come on my guy okay all the suicide notes have the same tone there's no goodbyes and there's no direct recipients so Reed thinks it's part of a program and then they says a program and he has this awkward like yep a lot of step programs make you make amends with yourself and Emily goes is that right and then we just looks at her and I was like what did this accomplish like yeah okay we get it he's going to some sort of program we'll find that out next episode we learn it's been 10 months but like this moment is weird right it's a lot of programs have this. Is that right? Reed, how would you know what these, pro- like, okay. Yeah. It's kind of like, come on. Yeah, it was a little on the nose. We cut to a non-groups. All of these groups are anonymous. There's 91 groups around Pittsburgh just for AA. So Penelope sends out the major staples, alcohol, grief, and drugs for the area that this all takes place in. And the team goes to gather the troops. It seems like Emily and Rossi take the drug groups 
Archer and Derek do the alcohol groups, and JJ and Ronnie do the grief groups. That's what it seems like. And they're telling them, like, the guy might have brought up suicide a lot. He's telling the same story over and over again. And then finally, the one of the NA groups, the guy says, you know, this one guy who keeps talking about his brother's suicide, and it turns out they all got the same story. The family was so poor, they shared a bedroom until they were 15. Their dad was a professor at Brassard. I don't know what that is. They Not slept college. in separate beds. Well, yeah, but, like, I've never heard of it in my life. It's probably just some, like, local private college that gets funded by, like, two really rich people. You know how they are. I do, unfortunately. Basically, the story is the dad was a professor at Broussard. The brothers shared a room but had separate beds. Every night, the dad sexually assaulted the brother, and Peter pretended to be asleep. And one day, he found out that the brother, like, slit his wrists. And he realized he had to let his brother go. And we see him at a group with that blonde woman, Lorianne, who couldn't hold her baby. We see that, and we're like, uh-oh, oh no. Mm-hmm. Okay. They have the two brothers' names, and they know that the dad taught a Broussard, so they find the guy. Um, and they lived on campus, and he was the youngest suicide in Pennsylvania history at 15, and I was like, Rip Ross was 16. But we don't know that yet. Anyway, Reed basically is like, you know, an angel of mercy does the same thing over and over again, so we need to figure out the starting crime and they realized that Peter killed his brother. His brother didn't commit suicide. Peter finally was like, you've had enough suffering and killed his brother. And now the murders are getting closer and closer. He is de-evolving. And yeah. they get, yeah. I hate the way they Peter's... say de-evolve. Devolve. They do just say devolving, by the way. They don't no, say de-evolving I, anymore. I say, I'm saying de-evolving. And I hate that you do. You can't see the look on my face, but it is just such prime <laughs> disappointment. <laughs> Contempt and disappointment. Okay. They get Peter's address. They go there. Emily finds his murder board, and there's a list, and Lorianne's name isn't crossed off. You know, and we, the audience, know that they're in a group together. So we're like, uh oh, oh no. And then Lorianne gets up to tell her story. Emily, like, is like, Lorianne isn't answering her cell phone. The husband is that works. So Emily calls the husband's cell phone. She like speed dials the number, which makes me think that Emily, like every time they get a case, she puts all the important numbers like on speed dial in her phone or something like Put crazy. the husband's number? I don't know. It, she, she doesn't press enough buttons is what I'm saying. Oh, they never do. This is I TV. Know. They never press any buttons. They never I press know. any buttons and they never drink any water. They always have empty cups and, and not enough phone number <laughs> buttons. All right, listen. Fair enough. Okay. So Lorianne is smoking and she's like, I can't quit. Haha. <laughs> Peter is like talking to her and is like, you'll know when it's the right time. So she like puts out her cigarette. Cool. She goes to leave and his car is a flat. So she offers to like offer him a ride. And during this time, the BAU is like running through the building trying to find her. And the guy gets in the back of the car. But as soon as she starts it, the guy's like, I can help you, like, I can make you away. And she's like, oh, is that what you did for them? And he's like, yeah, I did. I helped them. And she's like, you think you can help me? And then hits the gas. And Emily is like, Lorianne. <laughs> Lorianne, <laughs> go 
goes so hard. She's like, oh, her. you want to fucking kill me? Not if I kill both of us first. Like, yeah, bitch, go. She's like, she's like oh, you want to help me via suicide? Then let's commit suicide. Bud. Then let's go together. Yeah. Hand in a lovable hand. Let's go. <laughs> like, it's she so is, good. She's like, it, fuck it. And just, so good. just like, beans Ugh. it forward. Like, she does not care. She is foot on the gas. She is going. I think one thing that is really, really interesting about this moment is that, you know, the people that he has helped, quote unquote, helped so far, haven't actually been suicidally depressed, you know? Yeah. Like the one mom who moved on, the other people, not Paul, obviously, but the AA guy who finally went to like the baseball game, like they were going to be fine. The second he, like, targets a person who genuinely would commit suicide, his methodology doesn't work anymore. Because she does not give a shit. She's like, F then fucking kill me. Like, then absolutely not. Then let's do this. Yeah, and I, I like that. I like that they show that his method of just, like, getting into people's lives, like, it doesn't work when there's somebody who genuinely needs help. Like there is no way in which he is actually helping these people. Yeah. Which I think is a good, a good little thing that they did. So she crashes a car into the storage container. And I wrote, what a queen. What a queen. What a girl boss. Honestly. Honestly. <laughs> Derek pulls the guy out and the guy's like, what's going on? What's happening? I didn't do anything. And then Emily like gets Lorianne out. And Lorianne's in the, um, the back of the ambulance and Emily goes to talk to her. And it's basically like, you know, your daughter's dead. And Lorianne is like, yes, thank you. I fucking know that. I don't care anymore. And she's like, but your son cares. You don't have to lose your son too. And the husband is like holding the baby and like crying. And he like clearly is also hurting, but like is being the strong one by helping the kid because she can, is like giving her time. And it's like a very nice moment. We think he like walks up to them and she doesn't take the baby, but she's like looking at them now. And like the scene where they were all together, she didn't even look at the two of them. And this time she looks at them. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Plus one to this episode's portrayal of depression. Cause it's very, it's pretty good actually. I think it's actually pretty good. So we're back at the police station. The cop is thanking the BAU and they're like, Hey, Paul did commit suicide. You need to read this journal. There was no name. Peter's name wasn't on the murder board. Like, there was no needle prick. Like, he committed suicide. And the cop is like, no, fuck you. But anyway, thanks for coming. So then we're on the plane. Rossi asks Hotch about Jack. And Hotch is basically like, he hugged me and told me everything was going to be okay. He's like three. Jack is like three. Jack's so small. He's just such a little guy. And he hugs his dad and is like, it's going to be okay. And I just, okay. Yeah. 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 JJ is passed out asleep on the couch. So true, Queen. With the blue blanket. And I love that they have continued this blue blanket on the plane today. <laughs> I enjoy it. Derek and Emily are having a conversation. And Emily's like, you know, I just wonder if we're actually changing anything. And Derek says he has four properties. Because if he's not kicking down doors, he's kicking down walls. 
and like smashing stuff makes him feel like he's changing things for the better. Isn't that, is that good enough? And Emily's like, good enough. And then I said, all good episodes end with Emily staring out the plane window. <laughs> Literally, if you can get this angst queen on an angst tangent, you're yes, good to go, yes. dude. God bless. Yeah. So then we get a deleted scene. There's only one, but it was basically like Penelope at one point was on the computer. They were like video chatting with the cop, JJ and Reed. And she was telling them stuff and the cop is like, can she see me? And Penelope is like, pinstriped shirt, balding, but kind of makes it work. And JJ goes, scary, huh? <laughs> I was like, what is scary about this? Webcam technology in 2008? <laughs> it's not that scary, gang. Guys, I just like, <laughs> JJ's like, yeah, she always sees you. Scary, huh? It's like, it's like a random, like, thing. Anyway, that was a deleted scene. Okay. I can see why it was deleted. Yes, unnecessary. Sometimes I'm like, oh, this is such a good scene. Why did they delete it? And then other times, that. Yeah. James, scale of one to ten, what do you rank in this episode? Dang. Um, mm, fuck, dude. What are you ranking it? I'm thinking maybe like a, maybe like a seven. I was going to give it an eight. All right. Well, I can give it a seven. You can give it an eight. Okay. And everybody's happy. I like it a lot. Again, didn't remember it existed. It's it's so it's good on a rewatch. Yes. But I don't know as though it stands out if you just went to like watch it on its own. You know, like it's good in context here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they did not say the name of the episode within the episode. They also did not say Wheels Up, and I don't think God and or the devil is in this episode. <laughs> no. Just man. Unfortunately. Just the crimes of man. Times a man. We're in like the home stretch of season three now. There's like four episodes left. There's only five left because this is the season that yeah. got cut short because of the 2008 writer's strike. Speaking of, hey, support your local TV writers on the in the 2023 writer's strike because it is yes. probably the most important uh, vanguard setting against uh, the studios and also specifically against like AI in yes creative fields. So support your fucking writers. Uh, next week, we are going to be watching season three, episode 16, Elephant's Memory. Mm-hmm. Big read episode. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing yet. Until next time, you can find us on any way you get your socials at Wheels Up Pod. Uh, you can also rate us on Spotify. That really does help us out a lot. Or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out more than you know. Even just like telling your friends about the show. Uh, really does help us out like a whole shit ton. So if you want to tell a friend, an enemy about this show, you should. It would help us out a lot. And we see you out there giving the wrecks. We see we you because we hear about it is the thing. is our, our, our ears burn. We know we are being talked about somewhere and it just comes to us in a vision or in a screenshot. We're all of your discord. <laughs> We're everywhere, motherfucker. comments. <laughs> <laughs> we're yeah. everywhere we see you yeah james oh do you have an ending quote for me bestie i do <clears throat> you think you can help me you think you can help me thank you that was laurie good see good see you
Good scene, but I am clapping for you. Exactly. Good scene, good scene. I love it. Take a bow. 